Hello and welcome back to There Will Be Movies. This is volume two in which we are discussing 25 of at least one of our favourite movies of the last <laughs> 10 years, 2010 to 2019. This is episode 38 where we are discussing my pick, Arrival. Now you might be thinking, Ben, isn't 2016 the year that everyone's favourite movie, Moonlight, came out? Why are you discussing the Reddit's favourite director's movie where they discuss it with aliens that isn't as good as Moonlight? And I tell you, because... I really fucking like this movie, and I adore Moonlight, but we're not covering Moonlight on this podcast. Well, there are rules that you set out about one movie per director, and maybe something else will be here in episode 46, let's say. Maybe something else will be here later on. But yeah, I really love Arrival. It is this whole thing where, like, Villeneuve is obviously, like, the internet's new favourite director. He's Mm. kind of replaced Nolan in some ways. Yes. Um... Well, but... if you touch Blade Runner, you're going to be the internet's <laughs> favourite something, aren't you? And but the fact he's coming straight on to Dune as well, like he's oh, he's, of course, yes. <laughs> like he starts off in this kind of like quite aggressive, uh, like prisoner's enemy Sicario, and then he does this mm. quiet first contact movie, and now he's like the sci-fi guy. Yep. Uh, but I haven't actually introduced ourselves. I am your host for this week, Ben Phillips. I'm joined, as always, by Matt Waters, who Hi. hasn't had not seen this movie before. I hadn't, which may be startling information if anyone pays attention to the website all this gets posted on. Uh, at Enter the Real World, I hosted a Oscar podcast for the year this movie was nominated, in which Mike Thomas and Jerome Cuson debated the ten nominations, and I moderated. And I think I decided which movie I would pick as the winner, having seen zero of them. Um, and I managed to... They must have not talked about the big spoiler, because while I don't remember anything they said, I think I would remember something like that. And I guessed the twist in the middle of it, but I, I didn't know ahead of time. Yeah, I, I was always looking forward to seeing it. I've owned it since it came out on DVD, and it's just been sitting up on a shelf, and I keep meaning to... I think as soon as we put it on this, I was like, wow, there's no point watching it until then. Um, it has always seemed like something that would be my bag, uh, and it was, because it's, you know, it's good old-fashioned sci-fi, as it were. I feel there was a sort of renaissance in this decade of, like, proper sci-fi, you know? Like, because there's, there's never not been sci-fi, but it kind of drifted off towards big Hollywood blog blockbustery sci-fi you're, you're kind of, of these... moving into that science fantasy kind of thing yeah, whereas yeah. this is like it's uh it this is based on a novella by ted chiang uh, have you read it a, i've read it okay how is it uh it's fun like yeah. i think there's an elegance to the way that the film kind of distills it down into more filmic language that i really enjoy mm. but obviously like ted chiang is he's a science fiction writer i believe he Obviously, like, highly educated and everything like that, and is very interested in the actual, like, nitty-gritty of how we think about things, which obviously this movie's very interested in. Like, it's... Yeah, don't they explain the way they perceive time using the theory that light travels the shortest possible distance and stuff like that, and, like, far more, like, heady science concepts compared to... You know, the movie puts it to you just in a more straightforward, like, yeah, they just have a non-linear... Yeah, he's yeah. he is obviously someone. He's working more in that kind of hard sci-fi genre where like everything yeah. you write about is based in some theory of something. Like it's yeah. it's based in real world things rather than there are aliens, there are lasers, pew pew. Let's go stop yeah. something. But um, like I think that's that's what's been missing. I think we need like tricky adaptations of like 
short stories by incredibly clever people who like are a little bit prickly and refuse to buckle on how incredibly dense their sci-fi story is. Right, but Matt, you're forgetting that this week, uh, mm. The Three-Body Problem, another one of those kind of heady science fact-based books, has been picked up by everyone's favourite writing duo of oh, um, Benioff oh, no. and Weiss. Oh, is this the one where like it's translated from Chinese and it's got so much dependence on Chinese like culture or is it Japanese? It's really it's really fu- it's a really fucking good book. Um, yeah. but like just like seeing those two people involved in it, I'm like, oh okay. They they, they don't the have the nuance for it. <laughs> but yeah. But no, yeah, um this this is totally like exactly what I think has been kind of missing for a little while and like it has a lot in common with another movie I think we're gonna be covering that I know you like less than this. I probably like a bit more than this. I mean, I, I, it's probably a bit pointless dancing around it with those sort of. We're going to do Annihilation. Yeah, and, and Annihilation is one where I think that they're both ones that I think improve upon the book that they're based on in okay. really interesting ways. Yeah, we'll discuss Annihilation when we get to it. It's yeah. definitely something I'm excited to rewatch. But this movie hit me in terms of there is a real world emotional perspective. I mean, in Arrival. Yeah, it's. It's really not that subtle, but it's actually incredibly effective and oddly really timely. Um, yes. Still, like you know, this comes out in 2016. I hadn't seen it until today, last night, and I was like, "Hmm, this could come out right now and be <laughs> really like on the nose." I mean, it's what it comes out November 11th in the US, hmm. so. By that point in the year, I believe the election has happened and mm-hmm. and Brexit has happened in in the UK. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like I mean, obviously it's we it don't communicate a... well enough. Ben. <laughs> There's... It, it is it's a more hopeful movie than you could probably say. Where it's yeah. like like the fact that and getting into the very end of the movie, the fact that this entire movie is resolved with a phone call, mm. you could say is kind of like yeah. If, pe- trap. Like, if people it, it, just got together and just hashed it out, we could solve all the world's problems. Um, mm. Which is an oversimplification, but not entirely unwarranted. Yeah, exactly. I think that's where I stand on it. Like, it is an oversimplification, but I do think thematically, like, watching people act in realistic ways based on, like, how we are in the world right now, like, <laughs> just <laughs> the scene where the fucking soldier is sat on the bed watching the the Rush Limbaugh impersonator, yeah. and it's just like, yeah, you know what, I'm gonna just go fucking blow up the alien spaceship. Like, I know, right? I, I saw him as a bit of an Alex Jones, but yeah, same, same vague thing, yeah. Yeah, and, like, the depressing realism of... You know, oh, the first picture's gotten out, and then people are furious that they haven't just immediately started nuking them. Like, and it's like that's so dumb, but so accurate because there will be people who are like that. Why aren't we just immediately shooting them? <laughs> like, oh, sad, but yeah. Yeah. So let's get into a little bit of 2016 context. We will mm. be here for a few weeks, not unlike 2015. So uh, we actually get to to spread out the context a little bit. So Matthew, yes. uh, this movie was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture. What else was nominated in 2016? Arrival, Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water. That's one I really, really, really don't remember them talking about. Um, <laughs> Hidden Figures, La La Land, Lion, Manchester by the Sea, and the winner, Moonlight. It's a good year for the Oscars. Yeah, it seems, again, I, I hadn't seen any of them, and I have now seen two, uh, three of them. <laughs> like, I think, I think there are better <laughs> movies that they've kind of left off their list, but, like, with Moonlight, with Arrival, all of its faults, La La Land, 
Manchester by the Sea for all of the faults of its lead actor. Mm. Um, like, <laughs> like there are good films in that selection and films that I am excited to like think on a rewatch and stuff like that. Like, and even then, you're missing things like L come out this year, Jackie. Mm. They get nominations in other categories, but because they're like movies with strong central female performances, they don't manage to crack the crack the ten. Mm. What do you think about Fences, the play, being nominated as a movie? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's... I'm not a huge fan of any movie that takes a play and just straight adapts it onto the screen. Um, I think it can be done very effectively. Well, uh, I will say, when Hamilton was released, you know, by Disney Plus and filmed and, and released to the public, there was a sentiment that came out of that, of like, hey, you should do this with every major fucking play because not everyone gets the opportunity to go see them. I know this is a bit different, but arguably, on that same wheelhouse of like, right, not everyone's going to get to go and see Fences on Broadway, so let's film it and let everyone see it. So I'm not mad at them for it, but yeah, I can see how like you maybe shouldn't get awards buzz out of it because I, mean, I, I think in terms of acting, I think there is more than enough conversation that you should get awards uh, for that kind of thing. I just right. think in terms of the cinematic language, it's difficult to translate a play into something that yeah. feels as filmic as some of these things. And that's not to say that like this was functionally how films were back in the like 1940s, 1950s. Was it was just let's film adaptations of plays. Like yeah. you have people like Hitchcock doing Rope, which is one of those like insane flexes back in the time where it's literally just long takes stitched together in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, like, I think I think it is a good year for the Oscars. Obviously, the entire night is overshadowed by the fact that they give the award to La La Land and then have to go back on it and give it to Moonlight. Did they? Yeah, like, oh. well, they didn't give it to... Like, La La Land was announced as winning the best picture that everyone gets up on stage. Oh, and then no. they realize, And then they realised that, like, they were at the wrong card and it was actually Emma Stone's best actress win again. Didn't um, Marissa Tomei do that, but they let it stand? <laughs> like, didn't somebody read... I swear something happened with Marissa Tomei. Like, she won best actress for... What is it? My cousin Vinny, or and like, there's this rumor that like it was the wrong person, and they just went with it. Oh, I'm not sure. I've not heard okay. that. But like, the, the moonlight <laughs> clip is is incredible because like they get so little time to actually celebrate their win. But as people said, it's probably the best thing that ever happened to La La Land. Is mm, La La Land? Go- <laughs> yeah, La La Land goes from the movie that like everyone's just kind of going like, all right, fine, La La Land's gonna win because the Academy fucking love to jerk mm. off over movies that are about old-timey classic Hollywood Show stuff. business, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then it wins, and then it gets the award taken away from it by the the little movie about LGBTQ love over, like, yeah. a period of time. And, like, Moonlight's absolutely fantastic. It's it's the winner here. Even if I would, on, like, a day like today, I'd probably say, like, I do enjoy Arrival a Fraction more. Mm. Like, Moonlight is still the movie that I would have picked to win. Yeah. Now, I'm looking at these categories, Benjamin, you know, Delos Villanova gets a Best Director nomination, you know, the sound editing win, and all of this stuff. I'm looking at the Best Actress category, and I don't see Amy Adams nominated, and I'm asking what the fuck, because she's fucking great, and she always, always is. Um, Female Leo, at this point, has she won one yet? Or has not won one yet. What the fuck? Look, I, I know I, Meryl Streep just has to turn up and she gets an Oscar nomination. I know that Natalie Portman is allegedly fantastic and Jackie. Emma Stone, I'm fine, I suppose. But why is Amy Adams not here? I, I, I don't understand. I that. don't know. 
She should be here. She is terrific. She has so many nominations, including for movies that I think are so much worse than this. The fact that she is nominated for American Hustle and Vice. Yeah. Like, she should have won by this point. Like, uh, I would Female Leo, this is, baby. This is a year they could have given it to her. Yep. I would. Like, <laughs> she's great in it. Like, uh, it works actually... because of her. It's She's in almost every scene like the entire story is that's the point is they have this giant global story but they focus it so tightly around one person that there are some like massive dangling questions about how the global aspect would resolve but it doesn't matter because it's about her and it works because amy adams is so fucking good sorry yeah she is and it's, <laughs> it's crazy like i mean you could argue that she should have won for junebug that she should have won for the fighter that she should have won for the master but i'm like this not getting a nomination and mm-hmm. uh, and it being a better performance than than Emma Stone, mm-hmm. I, it's just kind of annoying. Yes, yes, <laughs> goodness. I don't mind when the wrong person wins out of the nominees. I do mind when the obvious potential winner doesn't get nominated. Doesn't even so. get a nomination. <laughs> yeah, I'd say the nominations bother me more than the winners because you know Holly, Oscars are going to Oscar, aren't they? But at least I mean, Isabel Huppert is absolutely fantastic. Like uh-huh. in the category of the people who were there, I'd probably go for her or Natalie Portman as like mm-hmm. my winner of the thing. But Emma Stone gets to sing a song and cry, which, as we all know, uh, is what got Anne Hathaway her Oscar as well. Of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh dear. Um, but in terms of movies and and money, which makes the world go around, obviously. Yes, this movie did surprisingly well. Uh, Only 46th highest grossing of the year, but it made $200 million. I think that more speaks to how much money movies make these days, that you can make $200 million and only be 46th. The top 10. I think think La La Land makes more money overall if we're looking at the Oscar nominations, because La La Land is kind of a... Yes, twice as much. (laughs) Um, The top Uh, 10 are pretty predictable. It's uh, Civil War, Rogue One, Finding Dory, Zootopia, Jungle Book, Secret Life of Pets. There is a strong theme there with animated things about animals. Batman vs Superman, Fantastic Beasts, Somewhere to Find Them, Deadpool, and Suicide Squad. That's yeah. And then like just outside of that, you know, you could keep going like with like Moana and, and Kung Fu Panda and yeah, just Ice Age nine hundred. Like you know, they continue yeah, we, we to are, be the big we things. We are firmly in the era of superhero movies and animated movies and franchise movies, just yep. absolutely dominating. Like, yes. None of the movies in the top ten either do not have a sequel or are not based on a pre-existing franchise. Yes. But as for the United Kingdom, it did open at number one. It made around 12 million total. Uh, it makes three million of that in its opening weekend. Helping it be number one is the fact that it is the highest debuting new movie by quite a bit. Uh, the next highest debuting movie is a Bollywood re-release at number 14. <laughs> and then number 18 is American Pastoral. So... It, is, it is one of the things I like about the UK box office is because we do have a strong like Bollywood audience in the UK. Yeah. Like you will find you get these like top tens where it's just like, yeah, just a Bollywood movie can crack the top ten in a way that it yeah. wouldn't in the in the States. Yeah, and like you depending on the area of the country you're in, you go to to like a multiplex and like half of what's playing is Bollywood sometimes. It's it's yeah. it's cool. Um but yeah, you know, you've got like Doctor Strange in its third week, trolls in its fourth week. The Girl on the Train. Don't get that mixed up with A Girl on A Train. 
both books that came out around the same time. <laughs> I, I think you're saying that people wanted to coast on the success of Gone Girl, so we just put <laughs> girls into different locations. <laughs> yes, uh, but that is an in-joke in that Saskia wanted to read the book of The Girl on the Train, was reading it, finished it, and was like, it seems nothing like the film, and then realised it was A Girl on a Train. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, fun, fun stuff. But, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Arrival, I mean, you know, people looking for something new, boom, here's a big, sexy, old-school sci-fi. I think Britain, in particular, has a particular affinity for... What these sort country of... that, that birthed us H.G. Wells and a man who wrote Attack of... <laughs> not Attack of... A man who wrote War of the Worlds, in which, like... Mm-hmm. Someone doing a concept album based on that book mm-hmm. is one of the most acclaimed albums. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so we ate that up with a spoon. And, you know, it made half of its money internationally. I think it does have a strong international element. I think there is a strong passion for sci-fi around the world. Like, having a French director doesn't hurt. And I don't think it's overly Americanery about... You know, considering that a large part of the plot is America having to be the good guys while evil China and evil Russia and evil the Middle East are going to blow it all up and ruin it for everyone, it still manages to not be too, like, America rah rah rah, um, which helps. Oh, because America's still, like, the third country to turn off its contact with everyone else. Yeah. Like, there are the government agents in there. Like, it, in reality, it's more the good guy scientists trying to convince the bad guy America not to be... Yes, science as... over military always. Yeah. <laughs> I said already, like, this movie gives me hope. And obviously, the movie starts crushingly depressingly mm. with... You get the Max Richter score, or the Max Richter song that they use that gets them cut out from being not eligible for the Oscars. Dumbasses. <laughs> On the Nature of Daylight, it's a really good song, but uh-huh. it sounds so much like the rest of the score that they get disqualified. Yeah, I gets... went back and watched this scene the second I finished the movie, because, you know, I feel a lot of movies start not exactly like this, but there's some kind of voiceover or dialogue where it's like, I am not able to, like, this isn't latching into my brain as important. And then as soon as you get the context, you're like, right, I'll watch it again. And you're like, right. Of course, fully, fully, fully important. And if I'd like kept that dialogue perfectly in my brain throughout the movie, I probably would have guessed the twist even sooner. But yeah, it it's a strong one. You know, we we talked about like this minor gripe that like it's kind of unreliable storytelling in a way, in that we see what we perceive to be a flashback before she has any alien contact, and then every other one is, you know. It's it's after a point where she is starting to learn the language. Yeah, like the first yeah, yeah. the first one kicks in when she is like first able to like understand their written language in yeah. in any kind of way, and she yeah. has that moment where she stood outside the the car and gets the first flashes of of this girl that she doesn't know. Yeah, um, and like you know, movies have to do this sometimes. Books have to do this sometimes. It's like you know, you're being told a story. It's not a fucking documentary, and like it makes it more fun to throw you that red herring or like the the odd one out of the pattern or whatever just so that you don't guess it too early and you know you're sitting there watching it and it is really interesting that like you read it as like oh she's alone in this big house because her daughter died and she's all alone now and then it ends up just being no she's all alone and that's why she doesn't have a daughter yet you know <laughs> like yeah you get you get these little bits and pieces where like even early on in the movie so the movie opens up with a uh, what is revealed to be a flash forward of our main character Louise Banks and her daughter Hannah where she 
finds out that her daughter has like an incurable illness and she dies and that is kind of all the context that we get yeah of, of what's happening here I, I probably should have noted like i probably should have guessed she does not look old enough to have had a 16 year old daughter or however old year old daughter that died and i think i think that's the whole point is that they don't do like age up makeup yeah. on amy adams at all precisely so that they can do this yeah yeah true um it is nice seeing two women playing i mean this is gonna sound so fucking hippie leftist whatever but like seeing two female characters playing like guns or whatever like a traditionally like very masculine type of play rather than playing princesses or whatever like it's a nice little earnest little touch but you get these fun moments like she gets a phone call from her mother in the evening Mm. and because you've had the scene where you've seen the daughter die already Mm. in your head you're like oh mum's calling in to check in on her daughter because she suffered this great tremendous loss when in reality it's more more likely to be you are however old you are and single Mm. living in this house working at (laughs) where are you gonna get a man (laughs) yeah i also noted that like there was no dad in this montage and everything and like again, that all pieces together because like they can't show you the dad because that will give it away. The only image you get of the dad is the crudely drawn crayon drawing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just yeah, it was it was cutely done how they hid this. And then like as soon as you guess it all like it helped me puzzle it out. I'm sure people guessed it even earlier than I did, but yeah, I was like I hit a point where I was like, wait, they don't perceive time linearly. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's a very fucking sad opener, for sure. It, it really is. And and then you get possibly the most unrealistic scene in the movie is everyone at this college where uh, Louise Banks is a linguist teaching a, a college course on uh, the, the birth of languages and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And she is uh, preeminent in her field based on kind of how she's treated by people and stuff like that. But she walks into her lecture hall and there are like four students there, all of whom have their laptops, and everyone else is crowding around TVs outside. And the thing that's so unrealistic is, like, multiple people get text messages, and then one of the students is just like, oh, put the news on the TV. And it's like, you've all got fucking laptops. Like, well, why, okay. are you not, why are you not getting Twitter up and, like, looking on there? Like, Count- counterpoint, I thought it was remarkably believable that a depressingly few number of students would be in her linguistics class and that they would all be very inattentive and looking at their phones and ignoring her. Oh, no, that I found realistic, but it's like, and the whole idea behind it is just the idea of there were people who wouldn't, their immediate thought of where to get the news from yeah, was yeah, to yeah, watch yeah. television rather than thing, the, yeah. the laptop in front of them or their phones. Yeah. yeah, aliens have arrived on Earth. There are 12 alien spaceships that have arrived at random at, at points around the world. Uh, they show us a nice little map. I'm sure. Actually, in fact, that one of my favorite little moments in the movie is when Jeremy Renner's character is describing the two most consistent theories for like <laughs> uh, least number of lightning strikes and uh, the, what a musical artist had a, yeah, a number was... of had a, a surprisingly big hit there in 1990. Uh, I mean, people have said that like the locations match with War of the Worlds, where the tripods landed, um, um, or at least some a... ones I mentioned in the book. So, uh, that... although of course. 12 is a much sexier Hollywood number than the 112 of the book. So, hey. <laughs> I like I like that they throw in all these little touches where, like, when her mum calls her and she's like, I'm watching the same thing you are, and she's like, don't watch that channel, those people are idiots. And depending on what way you lean politically, that could be any channel. So, <laughs> we all have our own headcanon about which one she's talking about. 
But yeah, it's fun. She gets dropped in by the military, uh, represented by Forrest Whitaker, Colonel G.T. Weber, mm. who says that because she worked on um, translating a terrorist video for them, she still has her top secret clearance. Yep. Do you want to come and talk to these aliens? Mm, and she says... Mm, mm, mm. No, because... No, sorry. Do you want... No. That's my complaint, is that he is oddly intransient when this seems very important, because he plays her a recording... And she's like, I can't do it without seeing seeing them. And he's like, nah, fuck off. And it's like, dude, like, <laughs> if this is important, give her what she wants. I know he's like, I'll just go find someone else who can do it. But like, you've got to fly to them. You've got to waste all this time. Just fucking take her now and go. But, you know. I... But she, she does give him a challenge because she knows exactly who he's going to go to. Yes. And she says, ask him the translation of this word. And and obviously, like she knows that he's going to come back with not an incorrect response, but one that is decidedly more violent. Mm-hmm. Which I think is one of the core things about this movie is the idea of like the ways that we communicate with people and the context behind those words. Well, really... a huge amount of the plot hinges on the interpretation of the word weapon versus tool. So like yeah, and yeah, like and like you have the fact that the Chinese delegates to discussing this are learning how to communicate with aliens via Marshall. Yeah, and she says how like you know if you teach them, if you only have a context of communication of a thing with winners and losers, then everything becomes a game. And then he surmises it as if you only. You know, she says if I only give you a hammer, he says everything becomes a nail. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, this is perfect. I love the way that this treats language. The particular one that I adore is when he's like, why are you fucking around with these lists of, like, basic words? And then she writes up the big sentence he wants her to ask. And he's like, right. And she's like, right, let's break this down. You need to know what a question is. You know, you need to know what each individual word here means. You need to know you versus you, the collective. And he's like, okay, yeah, I understand. I'm very stupid. I will shut up now. Um, yeah, I, I like, <laughs> like, of all the people in the world, and obviously it is a bit, like, oh, of course it's the American, but they pick the the exact right person to do this. And obviously other countries um, contribute a little bit. So like they mentioned that Pakistan is someone who contributes massively to their understanding. Of... Yeah, they broke through the right, like, with how the writing works, didn't they? Or, or they had some kind of breakthrough with the writing. Like, like yeah. the, the sentences start at the beginning and end at the exact same moment in time. So you have to know where the sentence begins and ends. And, yes. and, and also the fact that, like, the written language has no correlation to the spoken language. Yes. And... I don't know, this, this is the kind of shit that I like. I studied yeah. communications at both university and at A-level and stuff like that, and the idea of like how much of the way you communicate is non-verbal, but what happens if your written communication can convey... Multiple meanings contextually. Multiple. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, like, you know, not to be such a fucking stereotype as a person from Cambridge, but I studied Latin in school, <laughs> uh, and, you know obviously a massively elitist thing to study over flated importance but like the thing that everyone jumps to the defense with is that latin teaches you grammar and how tiny things can completely alter the structure of a sentence like who is the object who is the subject you know that kind of stuff and it was you know i don't remember it all well enough but like it was sort of hitting some of those buttons like something was lighting up in the back of my brain i was like yeah this is fucking cool like you've you've taken something that could be really boring and complex and communicated it really effectively um and that is i think the biggest fucking strength of the movie is that like this entire movie is about trying to talk to aliens and they make it 
exciting and interesting. Yeah, I mean, um, I, it, big props to to Eric Hysera's script. Like he mm. does a lot of interesting things in terms of adapting the book in an interesting way. I don't think like anything else he's done is quite as interesting as this. Mm. He's a lot a big horror guy. He's done like Lights Out, a Thing remake. Yeah, I saw that. Cool. He's basically got entirely a background in horror before this, hasn't he? Which is, you know, I mean, sci-fi and horror share some DNA, but yeah, this is shockingly more elegant than anything he's worked on. <laughs> and I, I guess having the book to work with helps, but yeah. Like, as much as I enjoy when things are about emotion, and this movie does have an awful lot of emotion, even if you could say it's manipulative based on the way that they present the information to you. But I also am a big sucker for these elegant plot mechanisms that are able to convey these kind of very complex things in uh, very interesting ways. And I think this is one of them. And it's helped by the fact that you get two absolutely fantastic performances at the central of it, as we are just now introduced to Jeremy Renner, who Mm. this is probably the best he's been since The Town. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing how all over the place he is because I've been re-watching a lot of the Marvel movies lately out of I don't know why but seeing him as Hawkeye there hasn't been one for over a year Matthew (laughs) seeing him as Hawkeye be just the obvious outlier amongst all these like beautiful charismatic people and he's just sort of sucking energy out of the room sometimes and then you see him in stuff like The Town, you see him in stuff like this, and you're like, oh, this dude can act. Like, you just have to point him in the right direction, and too many people... I think there was just such an attempt to make him a Hollywood leading man, and he's just not right for that at all. Yeah, like, he works in The Hurt Locker because it's not a traditional leading man role. Uh, He works in The Town because he isn't the lead character. Um, I mean, he's fundamentally a bit unlikable, so that helps. And, like... I th- ultimately, I think you're not supposed to not like his character, but you meet him and you don't like him because he is immediately... It, it rings very true in that the scientist immediately is trying to correct the woman who knows things about a different area because he's reading part of her book or whatever, or one of her writings, and it's she's talking about how language is the most important tool, it's the first thing used in war, all of this stuff which, you know, becomes literally true, um, in that their big weapon is language. Yeah, and he's just like, no, you're wrong, it's science. And it's just like, oh, you. And <laughs> I will say that, like, this movie hinges around a woman who is an expert in her field, and she is regularly questioned by men, and thankfully, almost every time, her character ends up winning out in those exchanges. And I like Forrest Whitaker's character for that, in that he initially comes across as a little bit sort of passive-aggressive. He questions her quite a lot, but ultimately he just comes to trust her, and he's like, yeah, no, you're right, you do you. And that's nice, because we have the, you know, we have Stolberg here as the, like, more dickish military man who's just like, nah, you're fucking wrong, we're gonna nuke him. But yeah, like, Forrest is really good in this. I, I would I, I would like to see more things that Forrest Whitaker is good in. <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously, he, he wins his Oscar for, like, the biggest performance of the 2000s in some ways. Yes. <laughs> and then and then kind of settles into fun supporting roles, yes. more often than not in Disney movies as, as he gets older. But this yeah. is uh, just a nice, kind of caring kind yeah. of yeah, role yeah. that he's got in this. But yeah, like, basically they immediately touch down, discuss some heady concepts, and then the alarm blares, and they're chucked straight off into meeting the aliens for the first time. And... They've what got a little canary, is... the physics are all screwy, it's it's all very strange. 
yeah, like the fact that the gravity within the spaceship tilts 90 degrees. So if you jump, you end up walking along the spaceship, uh, which is quite fun because like you look at it and you go like, how does this take place in there? But then you realize that everything is taking place at that. I'm a sucker for those kind of things. But my favorite moment is not only when the aliens arrive and you see them as these kind of squid like things, mm-hmm. it's what happens afterwards when they're taking off the hazmat suits and the kind of the sly smile that Louise and Ian have with each other. Yeah. Where it's like, they, these are two people of process and science and research and deconstruction and stuff like that. And just this acknowledgement between these two people who are obviously people who want to learn more versus the military people in the room who are at both times scared and kind of jaded to it already and the fact that they've already interacted with them. But just mm. seeing the joy on their faces of being like, holy shit, this is world-changing stuff yeah. just kind of gives me chills, in t- just in terms of how they play it. And obviously, it's immediately undercut by Ian having to throw up in a trash can, but <laughs> I just I, I just adore the passion and the excitement that they have for this challenge. You know, you mentioned Ian throwing up in the trash can. She immediately asks, am I fired? And Forrest Whitaker says, well, you did better than the last guy. And, like, when she first arrives, she's like, who's that being stretched off? And, like, you know, it probably isn't the previous attempt, but, like, you could potentially join those dots. That like, you know, this is something that is fucking with people's, like, psyche and body. And, like, a large part of this movie is Amy Adams starts to look like she's becoming quite unwell. Um, <laughs> because, I mean, they're going in there every 18 hours, presumably barely sleeping, and... I th- I think it's only every 18 hours because they hypothesize that it takes them 18 hours to change the atmosphere within the pod so that they can breathe in it for two or whatever. Because Stuhlberg's like, it wouldn't take 18 hours to pump oxygen in. And Ian's like, well, if their entire atmosphere is different, it would. So yeah, like this this idea that they go in there every 18 hours like clockwork and barely sleep and have to like pour over their results every waking minute. Yeah, it, it's, yeah just, you, it's just you, you cool. You change from the... You change from a 24-hour sleep schedule to a to an 18-hour one. So mm. not only are you trying to fit in, presumably like many many hours of like researching everything that you find, yep. but and like every minute, also, every hour of sleep must feel like really guilty, you know, like because it's like we need to tear apart everything you found before you go back I, in. Like, yeah, I, I I just I do really like a process music movie yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of like. <laughs> runs you through all of this stuff and obviously like we now get that kind of like montage thing where they start to come up with different ways of communicating where it's like right we're going to teach them i'm going to take a whiteboard and pen and teach them the word for human and then we'll slowly extrapolate that out to like we are humans i am louise this is ian mm-hmm. but i'm going to remove my suit in this environment which they don't know whether or not it's radioactive they don't know whether or not it's actually safe for humans to be in there but it's like they need to see our faces they need to yeah be able to differentiate between us because if they just see orange walking blobs maybe they assume that we're all the same and it, it's a little un, a little subtle thing that they have where it's like they can tell the difference between the two aliens that they nickname Abbott and Costello despite yes. the fact that they look the same mm-hmm. like yeah. they begin to recognise presumably like behaviours and, and what not yeah and she tells this little story about um, kangaroo <laughs> and how you know, when the British went to Australia and they asked, like, you know, what is this hopping animal? 
the Aborigine said kangaroo, and then it turned out kangaroo means I don't understand, which she says isn't true after he leaves, but, like, you know, just trying to illustrate that, you know, the the difficulties of language, and, like, there probably is some vague... I don't know, like, it rings true to me, because I always think about how koala means bear, and people constantly say koala bear, and also they're not bears. And, like, you know, these kind of weird little breakdowns of communication. There is a very iffy line where... Forrest says, remember what happened to the Aborigines, they got wiped out by a superior race or something, or, or a more advanced race, I think it is. Because, I mean, saying superior would probably be, like, cut that from the script. But I was just a bit like, ooh, okay. Um, I, I, mean, I think, yeah, it, somewhat it's somewhat factually it's, true, but, like, a bit iffy. Yeah. It's, it's a hammer of a line that gets across what it needs to do, but it's definitely not, like, the most careful... Yes careful thing but it, it very much is that like idea of like someone who perceives themselves as better coming along and basically mm. i know better let's <laughs> let's wreak havoc here yeah um and we get at this point donnelly does like his little narration he's sort of summarizing everything they know so far kind of thing and like it just sort of descends into montage of like the incremental progress like you see him walking across the room while she's written ian walks or whatever which is which is a fun little moment and you see her having these again ostensible flashbacks where like a caterpillar that looks vaguely like one of their symbols and like swirling a stick in the water and again it looks sort of like one of their symbols and and stuff like that and like he has found that their ships emit nothing there is no evidence of any communication between them there is no pattern to where they have landed they leave no evidence they exist essentially other than they have met them but yeah, it's, it's just kind of a nice thing. And like you said, like I like how this gets so into the function and the process and the nitty-gritty and, and the details and stuff. Um, but then it does spare you, you know, <laughs> 60 fucking scenes where they teach them one word a session or something like that. Yeah, they, it, doesn't, it doesn't do that. It doesn't do the point where, like, when they finally do crack, like, what the different symbols mean and they've got enough vocabulary to actually communicate back with them, they don't bore you with, like, you just see they've got this little tablet that lets them, like, put in three different words and it will generate on a screen what they want to say. Yeah, and they establish at this point that, like, they write complete sentences and they, they put it to you as, like, if you start writing a sentence, unless you already knew the sentence and you're writing it again, if you if you're writing off the top of your head you don't know how long your sentence is going to be until you've finished it, so you don't always know how much room you need to leave. And you see this when people make fucking happy birthday signs, and there's a giant <laughs> H and a tiny Y at the end because they ran out of room. Whereas these creatures, each one of these little symbols is a co- can be a complex sentence. So and they, and that's when you know you eventually start to realise that they already know the end, and that's where I think the book relates it to the to the light thing of like when light refracts the, it will take the shortest possible route and i believe her character says the light would need to know the final destination in order to plan the route and that's how they have that breakthrough of like they know the full sentence so therefore it will always take up the perfect amount of space or whatever. um yeah it, it's all just really fucking smart <laughs> i know and i don't like we don't want to go like oh yeah smart movies are better i don't there's just something <laughs> I think because I appreciate of the it every now and then if one of these slips through and is a hit compared to like <laughs> it's normally if you're smart you're small if you're dumb you're huge kind of thing. I mean, I, I did see someone that kind of asked the question like, "Well, what was the point of the movie?" And it's like the one that you don't didn't get. 
Uh, but yeah, that's, the entire thing is just like it's all about the ways that we communicate with each other, and it's like, oh well, they don't get anything at the end of it. It's like, what do you mean they don't get anything at the end of it? They mm. ostensibly managed to create some level of world peace because, mm. as we find out through this communication, they the aliens' entire goal is we need humanity, and presumably, based on the way that the news reports are going about this, like humanity's going to fucking kill itself in the next three thousand years, so. But we, we need to... you to be here in 3,000 years because we're going to be in trouble in some way. There is an interest. Like, I did start to... I think this is always a mistake in movies that start fucking with time travel. Like, if they have already seen that future, they must presumably know the outcome of it and they are only coming here to, like, fulfil the time loop or whatever. <laughs> like, I don't... It, it's... It's not important, basically. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's very similar to something like Slaughterhouse-Five, where, like, mm. the aliens in that don't perceive time in a linear fashion, where it's like, they just hop around their timeline. And so death does not mean death. It just means that they go back to a previous point where they were alive, and they just experience the same things over and over again. And yeah. when Or when know, one of them dies, they f- explain it as death processing or something like that. Or yeah, it... <laughs> but, like, but again, for, for a creature that doesn't perceive time linearly, they would just see it as like, my end point is there, but I'm still existing in... Is this kind of like untethered in time that, that Lost did, that, that Slaughterhouse-Five obviously very famously did, where life isn't a line it's a circle where it doesn't matter like you know where you start you know where you end but you've got all these different things that go on in between and you can relive any of those in any way and yeah. i i don't it's it's a theory on time that i've always been attracted to based yeah. on the fact that i fucking love lost i fucking love slaughterhouse wife and then this movie is very much she's gonna become dr manhattan Ben. she's gonna be the most <laughs> insufferable person um <laughs> I, I mean i think the book kind of does get into it and go like as she becomes she's not immersed in it every single day she begins to perceive it less and less yeah um, and also they, they unveil the information in a different way in the book where like instead of it being like in the movie where she gets little bits of pieces of the information she gets it all at once so mm-hmm. so the movie dolls it out in, in smaller increments so that they can have some tension where she doesn't immediately know the phone number of the, the phone yeah. whereas in the book whereas in the book she, she knows everything all at once and so yeah. she can do what she needs to do well the book point. is isn't the book grappling more with the concept the high concept of free will which this kind of leaves in the margin and sort of just sort of puts it out there and then moves on to something else like when they start getting into like daddy looks at me differently that's my fault I told him something he didn't want to hear kind of thing and like yeah, yeah. they leave it sort of uh, unspoken yeah, I mean, I, I like all the news report stuff because obviously you get an awful lot of <laughs> the phone call with with Captain Marks and his wife, where his wife is just kind of like, "Our kid is asking when you're going to come home." Like they're so irrationally scared of this thing, like they don't know what's going on. They're being kept in secret. They just know that there are twelve alien spaceships. Yeah, and, and like the first they... photo has leaked around this time, and yeah, people are starting just... to riot and protest, and that's where it sort of again felt timely. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. And I, I think around here is where we get this probably the most important conversation in the movie when they're talking about the um the hypothesis that you essentially think in a language and if you immerse yourself enough in a language it rewires your brain and you know that's everything because that we see it literally happening as she makes more progress with their language and they don't perceive time in the same way we do she starts to get her flash forwards and eventually gets to the point where she can conjure a number she doesn't know yet 
in order to call him in the present and like names her potentially names her daughter because she saw it in a book she hasn't written yet where she dedicated it to her and stuff like that and it's yeah but like i really like that that conversation happens potentially in a dream or like she loses some time because she goes from talking to ian about this to just sort of snapping around and being like it doesn't mean i'm not qualified for this job and then one of the alien creatures is just floating in the base (laughs) and then she wakes up and it's like what the shit is happening here it has big she's going crazy energy around this point because like you see she's not sleeping very well and she has that little snap moment and like seeing that the creatures are the way they are I couldn't help but think of Mass Effect where the big aliens <laughs> are kind of giant squiddy type monsters and they do indoctrinate people and start making them go a bit crazy and then Mass Effect gets bad after that but you know the the bones of it but yeah it's, it's very very cool um, and I love that that is like the crux of the movie because I think that is an interesting thing that like we always just think about everything in the terms of our own language and that like English is one of the few languages that doesn't gender items and words. You know, like, mm. it, it's a very common thing. Like, in French, this word is masculine, this word is feminine. And we're like, what? That makes no fucking sense. It's just yeah, an you arrogant... Just, you just have, like, we've got our own fucking nonsense rules. Exactly, no yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's the point, is that it seems nonsense to us, but it's like an arrogant sort of, like, self... You're putting yourself as default and everyone else as different from you kind of perspective. Whereas but there are everyone says languages. how English is so ridiculously illogical to learn and everything, but we just expect them all to learn it. And it's very, very cool. And like that ostensibly all 12 of these nations have a language expert who's gone in there and they're all coming away with different, slightly different meanings of the same output potentially. And that that is the not-so-subtle metaphor here is that, you know, the the differences and nuance of all of their individual languages mean that they are interpreting the same input differently. It's just cool, Ben. The the film is cool. I'm sorry. I'm just saying things that happen. This is the hazard of when we do movies I've just seen. (laughs) Uh, So I do want to... Like, so when did you figure out... Because I remember just when I figured out what was happening, just the giant smile on my face when Mm. I realised what exactly the movie was getting at. And I know it's a very, like, me thing, but I I, I can't remember if it is in the scene with the No Zero Sum game where... Yeah, that's the exact one. (laughs) I wrote it down. Like, I have it in the notes... Um, the flashbacks are actually flash forwards. Ian, the father? Question mark, question mark, question mark. I would like to say I figured it out earlier than that because that feels like the point where you should figure it out. I think, um, I, but... I don't think, I know people who didn't figure it out until okay. they they actually, like, speak about it in the movie. Right. Like, when, who is this girl? And then they have to do the kind of obligatory, like, that's your daughter. Like, you know, just the huge smile on my face of of like oh so this is where the movie's going and like i mean this is a someone who like i fucking love sort of house five like this is basically the exact same thing as that where you spend time with the aliens and you you learn to to perceive things like them and yeah. i love it and i love the obviously at this point is when you get the um the terrorist attack on the alien spaceship where <laughs> Like the other, the other soldiers take it upon themselves. Like the basically the the escort team take it upon themselves to put a bomb inside the spaceship. They get the the single communication of off a weapon from the aliens, and everyone's kind of freaking out about it. We've already had the conversation about tool and weapon are words that could be very easily misidentified with each other. Yep. But the, this one soldier basically takes it upon himself. He's scared. He's been listening to these right wing people. He's got his wife and child scared for his life, mm-hmm. and he's like 
fuck this, if they're going to bring weapons, I'm going to strike first. We need to shoot a, a shot across the bow. Yeah. Um, like, I like that whilst the movie obviously doesn't sympathise with him, like, they, they do enough work to take you through his mental steps in terms of, like, why he's feeling the way he is. And obviously it's short it's short-sighted it's irrational it's not based on anything it's all based on him being in rooms with people who are processing this information in different ways and yeah. kind of taking what he's got from those conversations and going like fuck they're evil they want to destroy us yeah well it's the whole again the movie the whole movie plays out in microcosms throughout itself because within their little camp you have all these dissenting opinions with different agendas. The military people want to think in a hostile way. They kind of want to act and withdraw and nuke them and stuff like that. The scientists want to prod at them. The linguist wants to talk to it. And then, like, across the world, the different nations have different agendas. And, like, we get this is the point where, like, they've all started to cut off communication with each other when early on, like, you see them particularly talking to Australia who, you know, don't really have any skin in any political game, so they're, like, neutral. But, yeah, but, like, everybody's perceiving everything differently, Everything's everyone's processing the same information differently. It's leading to all these different results. Um, it's great. It's a really <laughs> good central premise. Yeah, and then, obviously, the bomb goes off, the aliens... This is when they give them that, like, final piece of information where you get this huge... Mm. screen full of their symbols and stuff like that and yeah. they just don't have time to they've been doing it. one circle at a time sometimes two and then this is like a, a thousand tiny tiny symbols and, obviously, and like, they record all of it obviously but like yeah it's just like whoa <laughs> yeah and you can tell it's because they know the bomb is about to go off and they need to impart this information before yeah just communication is impossible because and when they start banging on the i mean we call it glass but like I was like, are they warning them it's about to happen? And they're like, there's a bomb behind you. Like, they're tapping. <laughs> and, like, it seems like that isn't. But then also, they do seem to know, we have 30 seconds, I need to just give you this fucking message now. It's, uh, yeah, it's cool. And it's like, it's like when you learn French and you learn, this is the word for apple. This is the word for this. And then suddenly you try and watch actual French people have a conversation where they are not using just a terrible sort of English-French accent. Like, you know, when you hear a language on tape and they're like, they take it really slowly and then you actually hear authentic speakers and then the words just do not sound the same. <laughs> the words don't sound the same. There's more accents, there's more bleeding yes, together of accents words. accents do not enter into a learning language at all and it's it must throw off anybody who tries to actually get into it. Like, I, the more I think about this movie, I'm just like, the more I, I really like it. And yeah. I, I'm not coming from one of those points of view where I think, like, Villeneuve is like... The, the second coming of stuff. I'm excited for his movies because I think mm. he's a very interesting craftsman. But like this one, just it's it's got a thing where I'm just like, oh, no, I just I just appreciate what this movie gets at and yeah. and what I I think I think an American director couldn't have done this. I, I think I think taking an international director making a, an a movie ostensibly for an American audience, I think is everything here because. You know, it just that that different world experience. And I know, like, it's written into the script, which is written by an American person. But like, I don't know. Just I think there is a real strength in using an international director to try and communicate this movie about communication <laughs> and how it's difficult when you don't speak the same language. Yeah, it's just really, really good. Yeah, like this is this is where just everything starts to kind of come together. Like, you get Louise realizing that the reason she doesn't have a she, the reason her husband leaves her is because 
she basically decides to have a daughter despite knowing that that daughter is going to die. Yeah, she and says, that... Daddy doesn't look at me the same way anymore. And it's like that thing of like, you know, he's still, I think, arguably a monster for just walking out on them. But that thing of like looking at your child, knowing it's on a ticking clock, and like every moment I bond more with them, it's going to hurt more when they die kind of thing. And yeah, just and like, he, how and... could you do this without telling me? Like, yeah. and, and coming back to that idea of being unstuck in time, like Louise, because she knows the language more than Ian does, because he is a physicist rather than a, yeah. than a linguist, like she does get to relive these moments over and over again. Like she has made this conscious decision that having this child and getting to spend the years that I get to spend with her with are the, six, the sixteen happy years are worth yeah. the devastating heartbreak when it happens anyway. And like maybe it's more sad knowing it's going to happen, but then yeah. maybe. But it's like not. it's just the idea that Ian is so distraught by the fact that he gets roped into not being allowed to know the pain. Yeah, I think it's that he's, like, an unwitting participant in a thing that, yeah, that he doesn't have all the information on, kind of thing. I, I just, I think, like, even though the movie never, they, there isn't that huge fight scene. Like, you never see Renner in the flash-forward scenes. So mm. you don't get the kind of, like, the prickly energy of something like, oh, oh they divorced, blah, 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 blah. You just get, all of it is subtext. All of it is, like, this information has driven this man to make a irresponsible decision that has yeah. impacted his daughter's life in a in a negative way yeah. but i'll tell you actually what made me guess the twist more than when they said uh non-zero-sum game because that was like yeah that's exactly what's happened when so she's having one of these flashbacks and and the daughter is asking her like you know oh what's what's this word when she says if you want science call your father i was like <laughs> hmm because Ian is the scientist and you're the linguist and he's the only man you know kind of thing. And then I fa- when they both said non-zero-sum game, that's when I was like, yeah, that's definitely what's happening. But yeah, and like China have set a 24-hour mandate, leave or we will fire on you. So like this is where we get our big Hollywood stakes. Whereas like in the book, there's none of this, is there? It's the, like, no, they it's... never make it clear why they came, why they leave. There's no like big military prickly situation happening it's just them learning <laughs> yeah it is just them learning the aliens leave uh, they never find out what it was because the aliens cannot process what like what purposes because yes. they just they just do things like that yeah because that's always to... what they're going to do so there's no purpose is an irrelevant concept if your actions are predetermined <laughs> Exactly. Mm. Yeah, and so you get this ticking time clock where they've got this time limit to try and figure out what the fuck this huge wall of text means. Yeah. And then Ian, like, really pulls his weight. Because there are times where it's like, what are you here for? Because you don't speak the language. But, like, he is... The movie conveys he is important. And, like, he does, you know, report his findings about the, the, the ship and, like, them leaving no traces and stuff. But it's like... It seems like these two would not theoretically work in conjunction the way they do. But then, like, this is where he comes into his own because he's able to, like, approach it from a sort of computing side. And, like, he's mapping the symbols and then plotting the space between... The symbol for time recurs repeatedly and he plots the distance between every instance of it and it's identical. Yeah, and it basically creates the idea that the gaps in the 3D space is actually, like, taking up one-twelfth of yes. a 3D space. Which you like uh, that so- as a fraction? It's like, oh, you <laughs> fucking slick bastard. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically it comes out that, like, again, the alien's entire goal is 
humans need to work together, share these 12 pieces of information so they can layer it on top of each other, and you get basically the roadmap of their entire language if if you do this. And obviously someone like Louise, who's already immersed in it and is learning it, is already being able to perceive all of it. But yeah. if you want other people to learn it, you do need this, this template and this working together that needs to happen. So presumably China and Russia and Pakistan and the Sudan all have had this piece of information in their last session because the aliens would know this is the last session we need to convey this information yeah isn't it like like each site gets one twelfth of the total picture needed to be read yes yeah and so basically it then becomes a race to how do we stop china from from bombing them because that means we failed (laughs) essentially in in bringing the world together and louise has a vision of an alien transport pod coming down and so she goes along her predetermined path to go up and meet the aliens, and we get the the big info dump of the movie where yes. it just it just kind of spells everything out. And like, it's not my favorite scene in the film. I still think thematically the movie is rich enough to like to to buoy it, but it is this very mm. much like we're going to explain what how the time travel works. We're gonna just kind of lay it all in a little thick, and obviously it's it's kind of needed to keep everyone up to date. But I'm just kind of like. I wish yeah. I wish it didn't look like this. I wish it wasn't this kind of like weird floaty CGI. Mm. Um, yeah, when she's like in the because they've always been behind the the glass, as it were, and now she's actually in that white stuff with them. And I think doesn't the book make it explicit that these little pods that come down they're just communication devices, and maybe they have a mothership or something. I don't know, but like. Whereas the movie kind of makes it seem like maybe those aliens are in that pod behind a bit of glass or something. But yeah, and then they say, uh, Louise has a weapon, use weapon, we help humanity. In 3,000 years, we need humanity help. Weapon opens time. And it's like, oh, okay. Like, you've made it just broken Englishy enough that this isn't just a giant info dump, but, like, it kind of still is. Um, and I, they, obviously, like in the book, you never find out like why they're here. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mean, it's it's a good concept in terms of like we need humanity to still to, to be still around. be around. <laughs> and the, and the movie never touches on like what exactly humanity needs to do in three thousand years. It's not mm-hmm. like the movie ends and they go like, right, it's now the year five thousand. Here the aliens have come back, and we will run out of our food source in three thousand years, and we want to eat you, but you need to be here. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, and you also see at this point the daughter like she's made her little mummy and daddy talk to the animals I mean I think we've seen that already but like you see her making the little model heptapod out of play-doh and it's just like ah <laughs> um, like has the daughter somehow inherited some kind or is it just that like this would have been huge news so like the, yeah, like the child has grown up seeing these images and thinks nothing of them yeah, probably, like, you have to imagine that, like, the fact that Louise writes a book about all of this, she's probably watching over the old clips of her talking to talking to the heptapods. Yeah. And, like, the fact that the, the crayon drawing her daughter draws is of Mummy and Daddy and the Canary says that, like, she has seen that visual in some way. Yeah. Um, and yeah. obviously the entire movie is structured around the idea of, like, the day she's conceived is the day the aliens leave. Like, this is where your story begins, because this is presumably where Ian and Louise come together and they have a child nine months later. Yeah, yeah. I did like this sort of... Because, <laughs> like, in the montage at the beginning, the daughter, like, they go from I love you to I hate you, and we see the daughter dying of, you know, we read it as cancer, but, like, they say it's a very rare 
thing and like cancer isn't rare so i mean it could be a rare type of cancer i don't know but part of me was like what if louise is actually full of radiation and like the daughter dies because of louise's contact with the aliens and she's like i hate you you literally did this to me but then it's probably more likely just teenage i hate you-ness but like that you can connect that potential worst case scenario dot i thought was quite fun but then it becomes full-on like everyone's leaving we've got to do it like and she's like locked behind a door and they're coming for her and it's all coming down to this <laughs> and and you do get like uh this is where i mean so Sima has been on the edges of this movie as General Shang, like he is mm. the face of China. He's just one of those faces that you'll recognize if you've watched anything, really. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's fucking great in The Farewell from last year, like one of the best movies of this year. He's in Mulan, which is now out mm. for a, a dumb price on Disney+. Plus. People are not enjoying it. Um, some Catwoman-esque editing going on in there. <laughs> but yeah, like, and so you get this final emotional through line that like again i can see someone coming out of this movie and go like it wraps itself up too neatly based on this conversation eh, i don't think it does i don't think it wraps itself up neatly enough in some ways just just in terms of how it resolves this conflict and like again this is coming from someone who i fucking adore this movie yeah. but like the entire phone conversation where you have it play out where louise has a satellite phone the only one on the base, potentially, because they're not allowed to take anything in. <laughs> yes, she's taken from Michael Stuhlbarg, who is so overqualified for the role that he does, but it's nice to have someone of his gravitas kind of, like, there as the prickly arsehole. Yep. Um, Every movie needs one. <laughs> yep. And she's she's got this satellite phone, and she's cutting backwards and forwards with this presidential dinner that's being held to welcome the Chinese delegate mm-hmm. into the US and kind of, like, beckon on this, like, newfound era of... Yeah communication between china and america and i like there's a big white flag with one of the symbols hanging amongst the other flags it's, it's pretty cool yeah but zima the only thing he's interested in is like i know who saved us that day it's this linguist who no one is paying attention to at this dinner like she isn't being heralded as a hero she's just another person who's invited because she she did some interesting things involved with it and he comes to her and says you told me my wife's dying words on a phone seven months ago so i think you need to know what they were and you need to know the phone number yeah she basically develops a superpower at the end in that she can remember the future like if she just closes her eyes and concentrates she can pluck information she doesn't have yet out of the future um and yeah she has his private line she says the wife's dying words i think it's slick war doesn't make winners only widows are the words I do think, again, it still feels timely that, like, the military's fear of someone just speaking to China is pathetic and funny. Like, they are willing to shoot her in the, like, when she has been the most important person in their operation because she's making a phone call to China. Like, they see the information that they have as being so important and world-changing that China cannot know what it is. And it's like, we know what information they've received. How is this a compromise or anything that does not need to be shared? Like, why is this a, a secret that needs to be protected? And but you have it from the other side. We have the Russian scientist who's communicating on open channels who gets shot on the microphone and stuff yes. like that. <laughs> and it's like this just idea of like the secrets are more important than the ability for everyone to know this information. Yeah, like um, than what you can do with them. Like it's so fucking dumb. 
like the world i'm sorry everyone listening we're all dumb uh you know she sort of is having a bit of a time and like ian is having to comfort her a bit and she's like i remember why my husband left me and he's like you were married <laughs> and like she says specifically that like i told him and he said i made the wrong choice or something like that and yeah like again that he is a fiercely scientific mathematical man and he just sees that as like no you are wrong like you should do the opposite of everything in the future you should change it all whereas she has just fully immersed herself in it it is nothing but intrinsic truth to her and it's like dr manhattan like and everyone like why didn't you stop this from happening it's like because it happens like there is nothing i can do but play my role like maddening if you're not the person but just so simple if you are the person (laughs) i think it does leave a lot of questions about like you know what humanity is supposed to do what the aliens need from us and like if the aliens already know what it is do they even need to do any of this but like it doesn't matter because it's entirely through that framework of louise and her now having to grapple with the concept of free will and determinism and you know, seeing that opening montage almost play out again. And as I said, I went back and watched it again and was like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> because she fully says stuff like, you know, I thought this was the beginning, but it's the you know, memory doesn't work like I thought it did. We are so bound by time and its order. Like she says all of that right at the beginning. And it just comes across as wishy-washy, big artsy film narration. And then it's like, no, we're giving you the fucking plot right at the beginning. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's either it's it's great it gives me feelings of like just warmth and hope yeah yeah and, it is a hopeful movie for sure and like, like it, it's it's melancholic and obviously it's sad but just seeing people with an appreciation for expanding their knowledge and communicating with each other and finding about this different things yeah. just makes me happy it's just a hard thing to kind of nail down like the happiness that we can have briefly is more important than protecting ourselves and just just those kind of themes and whatnot well yeah it's like when people are like i don't want to be in a relationship with anyone ever after they have a big bad breakup they're like oh i'll never be in a relationship again because then i can't be hurt it's like yeah but you're also closing yourself off from the good stuff because you know you're in your feelings right now but like yeah, there are people that just don't want to reach out or don't want to put themselves out there because if you don't do anything, you can't get hurt, but then you also can't get anything good. So, yeah, I think it is definitely a hopeful movie. And, like, Ian even says that, like, she she asked him, if you knew every event of your life, would you try and change anything? And he said that he would just say what he feels a lot more. The world must be very different for her, but, like, I don't think she feels any less knowing what will happen. And, yeah, it is hopeful and, like... I'm glad that a movie like this got an Oscar nomination and that, like, I don't know if this led to a renaissance of sci-fi because I think it was already sort of going on, but, like, you know, it's cool that this movie exists, I think, and was as yeah. big and good as it is. Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing that I could see someone doing, like, a shitty sequel to where they do <laughs> take it to the F5000 or, or whatever. Oh, like, like, you could make a traditional sci-fi movie out of this, but... Don't. Um, <laughs> I, I do also want to give a shout out to Bradford Young. Obviously, uh, Villeneuve is well, best well known for his work with Roger Deakins. Like, he finally got Roger Deakins' Oscar with uh, Blade Runner 2049. Mm. Uh, but Bradford Young makes this movie look fantastic. Yes. Uh, it's fucking nuts that just two years later he's the cinematographer on Solo. 
um, mm. which is a movie that does not look this good. <laughs> no. Joe Walker editing it. Like, the editing is fantastic. I don't know how it doesn't win the Oscar for editing, because... I mean, again, they fucking front load all the information and like all the the flash forwards are so pivotal to the movie. And yeah, I... yeah, like I mean, he is he's someone who's going to come up uh, at least one more time in this miniseries because he is Steve McQueen's editor as well. And uh, those movies are also very well edited. More hints there at the future, but in the immediate future, I have a very big one on my hands to have to watch. Yes, this is going to be an interesting one. This is my personal favourite movie of 2016. God, I fucking love this movie. We are doing Park Chan-wook's Handmaiden, which is, mm. uh, again, I absolutely adore this. I've, I, I've spent lockdown watching an awful lot of South Korean movies. Like I've done movies from Park Chan-wook and I've done Bong Joon-ho. Really excited to get to revisit this one. I have no idea how you'll respond to it. I hope you like it. <laughs> Well, we know how I feel about long movies. I'll do it in the theatrical cut. I will be. <laughs> Maybe I'll watch it twice. Yeah, so the theatrical cut is 145 minutes. Yeah. And then the extended cut is longer than that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, great. I look forward to it. I will try my best not to get grouchy because it's so long. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm hoping that there's like things that the movie does structurally that allow you to enjoy it in a more interesting way. Uh, Yeah, I love that movie, our second stop in 2016. I'm glad you like this one. As we we previously hinted, we're into a stage now where I'm going to be introducing you to a lot of my favourites, and you have not had much ability to push back on my choices. They all made sense to me, based on context and what I know about them, so... (laughs) Um, Yeah, this has been been our episode on Arrival... Matthew, can you confirm to me whether or not there will be movies? Well, Ben, first you need to consider, do I understand what the question is? And then, what is a movie? And then, what the concept of will be? Like, what is time? And then just, you know, who made the movie?